You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, friends, would you open up your Bible together with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Last time we were in Colossians chapter 1, we considered verse 15 to verse 17. Today we're going to continue on. Verse 18 to 20. Verse 15 to 20 is a poem. It's a beautiful poem that exalts the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in uh, middle school, probably around that age, uh, I went on a field trip with my music class to the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Uh, I was maybe a preteen, and I remember going to the symphony and uh, just being mesmerized by the size of the building, the skill of the musicians, and I probably wouldn't have used that, this word back then, but when I think about it now, it was just a grand experience. And to those of the students who came with me who were willing to appreciate it, as preteen boys and girls, I think they would have shared that sentiment with me. But there are some who didn't appreciate it, some who kind of just fooled around, and I mean, we leave the symphony orchestra, come back to Glad Park Public School in Stovall and go to our little band and play Yankee Doodle or something like that. Kind of brings you back down to earth a bit. But the students who couldn't appreciate the symphony are prob- were also the students who, in music class, made our music teachers storm out of class a few times. Not just leave class, storm out of class a few times. Because you see, it doesn't take many musicians one, maybe even two, who are playing off beats and out of tune to make the whole band just make playing feel intolerable and listening to it even worse. If even just one musician plays off beat or out of tune, the whole band is out of harmony. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, we learn about the supremacy of Christ over all things as the creator of all things. Like the composer and conductor of a symphony, God created the universe and everything in it good, and it was in peace and in harmony. But just like two musicians in a band playing offbeat and out of tune, the first two humans did not keep in harmony with their conductor. When mankind sinned, those sin of those two people affected the entirety of creation. Everything that was good became evil. Everything that was beautiful became ugly. Everything that was in harmony became discordant. Everything that was in peace became hostile. But I'm really thankful that God's not like my middle school music teacher. And he didn't storm out on humanity, but he set into place a plan that he would restore peace with humanity through Jesus Christ. Let's look at the text together. We'll start at verse 15 to verse 20. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, 
the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. There's not a lot that people can agree on in a polarized culture like the one that we live in. But I think at least the majority of people are willing to admit this. The world is not what it ought to be. But today we're going to learn that as Christ is supreme over all things in creation, he is also supreme over all things in reconciliation. Christ is supreme over all things, and all things will be restored to peace with Christ. Today we're going to learn the four ways that Christ restores all things to peace with, uh, with himself, and we're going to learn the four paths that we need to walk if we are going to have peace with him. So here's the first way that Christ is, restores all things to peace with himself. All things will be restored to peace with Christ under his authority, so submit to him. Look back at the text with me. We're going to learn some rich, deep theology about the nature of Christ and the rich, deep significance that it has for us. Verse 18 says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. All things will be restored to peace with Christ under his authority. You see, Jesus Christ as creator has universal authority over all things, but at present, he exercises his authority in a localized way with a particular people, the church. He is universal authority, but he exercises authority in a localized way through the church. The church comprises all believers throughout all time in all places. And throughout all time and in all places, true believers have always gathered together to relate to each other in a local community. To relate to each other in the same way that the members of a body relate to each other and submit to the head of that body. See, the term head is a term of authority describing Christ's authority to his church. And if we're going to enjoy the peace with Christ, we need to submit to our head. I studied theology in university, not biology, but I know a little bit about how the body works. I know that the body has a circulatory system and a digestive system and other systems, I don't know, but I know it has a nervous system. The nervous system is really uh, centralized within the brain and the spine, but it, there are nerve endings, forgive me if I say all the technical terms wrong, I studied theology, but there are nerve endings that go throughout the entirety of the body so that from your fingers to your toes, everything is connected in system with the brain. And as your body is exposed to environmental stimuli, if it's burned or if it's cold, it sends signals to the brain and the brain will organize the functions of the, of the body for the good of all of its members. And when a body is working together properly and healthy, you don't think of your body as p 
parts, you think of your body as a unit, as a whole, because everything works together. Christ is the head of this community. This is the point. God's plan for our peace is that we would be connected to Christ and cooperate with other Christians. All things will be restored to peace with Christ under his authority. So church, submit to him. That's a path that we need to walk if we're going to find peace. See, if you have discord with other Christians in your family, in your small group, if there's this unspoken tension that you always feel when you walk by that same person at church and you know where they're going to be in the lobby after the service, so you know that you're going to run out first and get your coffee so you don't have to be around them, the problem isn't first that you're in discord with them. The problem is probably that you're out of harmony with the head. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count one another more significant than yourself. So where does Jason Locke fit in the pecking order of my own significance in the church? Well, I should think about myself at the bottom. Count others more significant than yourself. It continues to say, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, if you have tension or discord in your family or with others in the church, the problem isn't primarily between you and that person. The problem is primarily that you're probably not connected to Christ in the way that you should be. See, I think I could think of the nervous system of the church, maybe allegorically. If Christ is the head, I think the spine that holds us all together is humility and love. And, and we shouldn't think, well, well, don't you know what this person did to me? Or, or, or don't you know what happened? But am I properly connected to Christ? Because if I can't look at them with love, and if I can't consider their interests first, I'm not loving what, how Christ loves. I'm not connected to Christ in the way that I should be. And doesn't the world need an example of what it means to be in community with peace? There's too much discord. There's too much polarization and disagreement. Why, how can it be this way in the church where Christ is supposed to be the head? All things will be restored to peace with Christ under his authority. So let's be people that submit to him so we can cooperate in peace together. Here's the second way that Christ is going to restore all things to peace with himself. All things will be restored to peace with Christ through his resurrection. So, if you want to find peace, live in him. The way he's going to restore peace to the world is through his resurrection. The path that you need to walk to find peace is by living in him. Please turn your eyes back to the text with me. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, verse 15 to 20 is a poem, and it's all about the supremacy of Christ. And, and when we get to this new title of Jesus, the title of Christ that describes him as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the reason that he has this title, or rather the result of that title, is that he would be preeminent. It's like all of a sudden in the poem, we've reached the summit of worship of Christ. See, when a, when a, when a climber gets to the top of the mountain, 
still got to go back down. But when he gets to the top of the mountain, he's going to stop and appreciate that he made it and look around at the beauty that's around him. In this whole poem, there's more to come and there's more that's passed. But when, at this point here, this is the point where we see the, pre, uh, the ultimate example of the way that Christ is supreme over all things. And in what way do we see that? He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You say, okay, theology student, tell me what that means because it doesn't really sound that important to me. It's very important. The beginning and the first form of the dead are two terms that uh, uh, coordinate together. Last time that we were in Colossians 1, we saw that firstborn doesn't mean born first, but it means ranking first. And that Christ ranks first because he is the first who has been born from the dead, the first that has been resurrected from the dead. See, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he inaugurated a new era. When Christ rose from the dead, he is the beginning of the newness of what it means to be truly human. We don't know what it means to be truly human. It's like a fish who's been living in the sea his whole life and all of a sudden has been caught by a hook and pulled out into water and realized, this guy's breathing out here, but I can't breathe right now. How can he breathe like this? And when Christ rose from the dead, he inaugurated the beginning of a new type of humanity that others can share through his resurrection. A type of humanity that was lost after sin entered into the world in the Garden of Eden. And a type of humanity that Christ has brought back through his resurrection. See, Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you may not know it, but you are radically different in a foundational, fundamental way as a spiritual human being. You were born dead in your sin, but when you put your faith in Jesus, you were raised to new life. Like someone who's been born and never able to see decades later, finally is miraculously healed of their blindness and can see a sunset for the first time. Like someone who was born deaf and for decades could never hear, miraculously is able to hear and hears the laughter of a child for the first time. Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the nature that you were born with that was cursed and corrupt and could not relate to God, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that old nature died with Christ. And just as Christ rose from the dead, you, by faith in him, have risen to new life with him. You are a new human. God is returning and restoring you back to what it means to be truly human. Amen. And listen, I get if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're new to Christianity and you hear the preacher talking about like a new type of humanity. Are they saying like religion makes some kind of next level evolution or something like that? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what it means to be alive and live the way we were designed was lost when sin entered the world. But Christ... He is the perfect example of true humanity. See, the way that we think it means to be a successful human is very flawed. We think we need to be wealthy. 
We think we need to be sexually satisfied. We think we need to be comfortable. We think we need to be included and liked by other people. Jesus Christ had none of those things, but still showed us what true humanity looks like and had more joy than all of us combined. See, Jesus was celibate his whole life. Jesus was poor and primarily was supported by a few old widows his whole life and slept on rocks. Jesus was hated by many. Jesus had nothing that we have and want that we say is being a successful human, but he lived as the trueness and fullness of humanity. And he took our brokenness on him when he died on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. And if you put your faith in Jesus, resurrection power is in you. Do you want this? Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message, prayed this prayer written in a book he wrote called Praying the Psalms. It's on the screen. I couldn't say it better myself. He said this, make a whole person of me in Christ. This struck me when I was reading it. Think on this prayer very specifically. Make a whole person of me in Christ. See, Christian, God wants to make you new. God is not satisfied with the place where you are at now, Christian, but he wants to make you more into the perfect human Christ, like a sculptor who sees what the image of a marble block could be, but it's not there yet and wants to keep chipping away, but he can keep chipping it away, but it's not yet fully complete and more chipping needs to be done, so there's more work to do in you. Make a whole person of me in Christ. You see, God just does doesn't want to change a part of you, Christian. He wants to change the whole of you. He wants to change you fundamentally to your heart. He wants to change the desires of your heart so that you no longer love the sin of the world that he hates, but you love him. He wants you to no longer worship the idols of the world that are false gods, but he wants you to worship him who is the true God. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your mind. So for most of us, Our minds are conformed to the patterns of this world that cannot please God. But Romans 12 verse 1 says that he wants to transform our mind to know the will of God and obey it. God wants to change your thinking so that you think the thoughts of God. God wants to change your heart, your mind. He wants to change your lifestyle, your behavior. He wants to take you from the sinful, evil way that keeps spiraling downward and downward to more pain and more suffering and more sorrow and more discord and he wants to form you into the image of Christ that is in the image of righteousness and holiness and love and peace and gentleness make me a make a whole person of me in Christ make a whole person of me uh, it's march the 3rd We're a sixth of the way through 2019. How are your New Year resolutions doing? You know, at the beginning of the year, when we talk about resolutions, you know, you hear the statement, New Year, New Me. Christian, non-Christian, the best version of you is still an imperfect version. The best you with the best job, the best you with the best degree, the best you in the best social circles, the best you with the best body image, the best you with the best relationship status is still a sinful and corrupt and imperfect human being. 
Man is not the measure of all things. All that man is the measure of is the measure of how far, far we fall short of the glory of God. Christ is the measure of all things. And God wants to make you into the image of the perfect man, Jesus Christ. But so many Christians, they just want to keep God segregated to a certain part of their lives. You can change this part. You can't change that part. You will not find peace living that way. Never had a dog. Love to have a dog someday. I love dogs. Not dogs that shed, but I love dogs. But I remember living um, in, uh, in my childhood home, and we were in a court, you know, a cul-de-sac, and uh, this one family had a dog with a collar on it called the uh, Invisible Fence. Maybe you've heard of that before. You know, they don't want their dogs to run on the road and get hit by a car, so instead of building a physical fence, they build an invisible fence. What that means is that there is like um, sensors that have this um, connect to the dog's collar, and if the dog passes this line of the sensor, the dog gets a little shock, right? And and eventually the dog will learn, okay, I, I can go this far, but I can't go any further. Some of you have put invisible fences around your own walk with Christ. When your wife tries to talk to you about your drinking and you keep zapping her about it, when you try and keep talking to your kids about their gaming addiction and they keep zapping back at you about it, they know, it's like, okay, don't, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. Make a whole person of me in Christ. God wants to change all of you. And the reason we put invisible fences in our walk with Christ is because we think that we've attained to the best level. I'm happy here. God's not happy with you there. God wants to transform you into the image of his son. But we put him in ghettos. God, you can come this far. You can go into the ghetto. I'll be in the suburb. No, 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 no. God wants to change all of you, Christian. Do you want that? You will never know the fullness of peace until you let God have all of you. If he is not Lord of all, is he really Lord at all? All things will be restored to peace with Christ. All things in the world, and he wants all things in your life as well. It's through his resurrection. So Christian, live in him. Put off the old. Put on the new that is being renewed in the likeness of Christ. And you will know peace. It will be painful to get there. Believe me. It's not hard as I've had to recognize recently that I'm an anxious and fearful person. It's not hard as I've had to recognize recently that the reason that I kind of binge eat at the end of the day is because I'm anxious and fearful and I'm just trying to numb my soul. I don't want to admit that because I like kind of eating Triscuits at the end of the day. It's painful to cut off the sin in your life and to admit that you're at fault, but you won't know peace until you do. Pray for me. I want to grow more into the image of Christ. We are praying for you. God wants us to live in his resurrection power. All things will be restored to peace with Christ under his authority, so submit to him. Through his resurrection, so live in him. And all things will be restored to peace with Christ because of his divinity. So wait for him. 
wait for him. Look back at the text and you'll see what I mean by this. In verse 19, it says, for in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is the second statement that we see in this poem from verse 15 to 20 that claims that Jesus Christ is divine. The first is in verse 15, where it says that he is the image of the, of the invisible God. Two words are important here to understand divinity. Now, now, buckle in. We're over halfway through the service. You might be mentally exhausted already, but you still have more to learn, all right? So pay attention to God's word, and I believe that you will be blessed as you have ears to hear this, okay? Two words that are important to understand here, to understand the divinity of Christ. The first word is the word fullness, all right? Fullness. See, this was a very particular word that the Apostle Paul chose because there were some false teachers that had invaded the church in Colossae and were teaching a false message. They were saying, hey, if you really want to know God, if you really want to fully know God, then you need to listen to the message we heard from these secret angel beings who gave us this secret angel message. And when you listen to them, then you will fully know God. This false teaching that pervaded into or invaded into the Colossian church, historians and theologians call Gnosticism. And they said, they said they got this special message from angels and you can't fully know God until you listen to that message. The apostle Paul says, the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And just as we learned last time that we were in this passage, if you want to fully know God, you will know him only when you know Jesus Christ. And Christ has revealed himself in his word at the cross and as the Holy Spirit enlightens your eyes to see it. The second word that's important to notice is the word pleased. Did you notice that? It says, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Throughout history, God's presence has dwelt fully in different places. It dwelt in the Garden of Eden. It dwelt fully in the tabernacle with Israel as they were traveling through the wilderness. It dwelt fully in the temple in Jerusalem that uh, Solomon built. But at the incarnation where the Son of God, Jesus, came from heaven to earth for the first time, the fullness of God didn't dwell in a place, but it was embodied in a person. God was pleased to allow Christ to be the full image of divinity for us to see here on earth so that we could dwell with him. And, and this word pleased is very related to the word choose because God only chooses to do what he does for his own good pleasure. The point is this, God chose that his son Jesus would be the one and only one who would restore peace to the whole world. All things will be restored to Christ because of his divinity. So wait for him. Last year, my wife and I both got the flu. It was very not fun. It was especially not fun because we had a three-week-old baby, and we both had the flu. Thankfully, our baby didn't get the flu, but uh, you, you've probably had the flu, or maybe you've had strep throat before, and you know the signs and the symptoms of what happens when you get the flu before you know, oh, it's the flu. The first is generally fever, right? Wow, I'm hot. I think I just want to wear my PJs all day. 
The second is chills. Wow, I'm cold. I think I want to be in my blankets all day, but I'm hot again, but I'm cold again, right? Am I the only one that has, is the only one that has a flu? It's not fun, really. And it's not fun when it gets worse because the next thing is like the, the weird stomach stuff. When it's just like, I'm just going to bring my TV into the bathroom with Pepto-Bismol for the next three hours and watch Netflix because I ain't going anywhere else, right? The signs and symptoms are evidence that there's a problem. It's evidence that there's a deeper sickness and you should stop focus probably on just managing the symptoms, but go get antibiotics to actually deal with the sickness. There's a lot of symptoms of the sickness that are cause the lack of peace and disunity in the world. There are a lot of things that are causing hostility and pain and suffering. I thought of a few. I feel like income inequality, youth homelessness, human sex trafficking, elder abuse, racism, gang violence, kidnapping and spousal abuse. There's a lot of symptoms of the lack of peace that we have in this world. And, and you might think, it's like, well, those, those, that's stuff that happens everywhere else. That's stuff that happens in other places. But I chose each one of these on this list specifically because from what I've read from the news, from meetings I've had with local politicians, and from things I've observed myself, all of those things are happening in our backyard. All of those things are happening in Markham or in York Region. It's not a Scarborough problem. It's not a Toronto problem. It's not a streets of Chicago problem. It's not another continent problem. It's a here problem. But these are only symptoms of the real sickness. And it's secular humanism that thinks that we can save ourselves from our own problems and reach some kind of utopian paradise. Christianity teaches that these are the symptoms, but the sickness is sin. And the only cure is Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sins to then experience abundant and eternal life with Christ. And, but when you hear about all these things that are happening in our backyard, maybe your first reaction is, well, we gotta do something. We gotta do something. We should do something. We should mentor young men who are susceptible to be recruited into gangs because they really only just want a sense of belonging and end up murdering people. We should mentor young women who have been abused by former relationships and are susceptible to be lured into human sex trafficking. We should give our money to the poor and open our doors to help our neighbors who have less than us. But do you remember what Jesus said about the poor? Jesus said, the poor you will always have, but you will not always have me. See, Christ went to prepare a kingdom and he's coming again to set up his perfect kingdom of peace. The symptoms of sin will always be here until Christ returns. We need to wait for him. We did a long for him. There's no other solution. There's no other way except when Christ comes back. Isn't this why Jesus taught us to pray? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't this why some of the last words in the last book of the Bible are, come quickly, Lord Jesus? 
We should yearn for Christ's return. We should long for Christ's return. We should pray for Christ's return because it's the only hope that we have that our world will be restored to peace. All things will be restored to peace with Christ under his authority, through his resurrection, because of his divinity, and then finally this, all things will be restored to peace with Christ by his cross. So, if you want to walk the path to peace, path to peace, join in him. Join in him. Yes, we should be waiting for him, but we should also be joining in him into the work that he is doing to reconcile the world to himself, to restore peace. Look at the passage with me, verse 20. It says this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Remember, reconciliation is restoring peace to a broken relationship. And Christ is the one who will reconcile, who will restore peace to all things. And the way that he's going to do it is based on what he's already done by the blood of his cross. What happened 20 centuries ago on a hill called Golgotha when Christ was nailed to the cross and died, but then three days rose again that we celebrate every year at Easter, that is the act that has become the hinge point on which all of history turns. And that is the means by which he will reconcile all things to himself. Well, how? How will he do it? How did the cross accomplish it? Well, because all of humanity is cursed in our sin. But Christ became our curse when he died on the tree, liberating us from the curse by faith in him. Because God's wrath is revealed against our sin, but Jesus satisfied the wrath of God when he suffered in our place on the tree. Because God's standard for to be accepted by him is flawless righteousness. We fall short of that, but Christ took our sin on that tree so that he might give to us his perfect righteousness when we put our faith in him. And thereby we are justified before God as righteous in Christ. And Romans 5 verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciliation. The restoration of peace to all things is only available because of the cross. And Christian, if you have been reconciled to Christ, you are called to be an agent of reconciliation. If you have peace with God, you are called to be a peacemaker. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself, us to himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. If you have been reconciled, you have been entrusted with a message and the job of reconciliation. If you have peace with God, you are called to be a peacemaker. Are we doing our job? Every generation has its own legacy. 
I shudder to even say the word of what my generation is because then you'll know how old I am and then you'll you probably know the, the bad rap that my generation gets. I'm in the generation people call millennials, right? And bloggers and media really like to pick on millennials a lot. Yeah? Uh, often they'll say that millennials don't even know what a hard day work really looks like. So, you know, that's probably true based on the way that our parents and grandparents worked, but the reality is millennials are actually in the process of actually changing the way that the entire workforce looks like and works right now. So I don't know what the legacy of my generation is ultimately gonna be. But I think of the legacy of the generations that have passed us, like one that Tom Brokaw, the news anchor for NBC, calls the greatest generation. Tom Brokaw believes that the greatest generation is that generation that was uh, born and had their childhood through the Great Depression in the 30s, who spent their youth having been drafted to fight a war in Europe to stop fascism from taking over the world and then in their adulthood came back to North America and built up North America to become the economic powerhouse that prospers like it does today because of their work. It's a great legacy. But I think when most people think about legacy and how they live their lives now, what they're thinking about is the trajectory of their life that's going towards their last day here on earth. Most people are actually thinking about the trajectory of their life on their way towards retirement. How can I organize my life day by day to live in such a way and work in such a way that I don't have to work anymore, I can live in a way that's very comfortable? This should not be the way that Christians look at the trajectory of their lives. Rather than looking at the trajectory of your lives as going towards the end of our life when we can have comfort, we should be looking at the trajectory that God is looking at, at the end of time when Christ comes back to restore all things. Rather than working day by day to the end of my life, we should be working day by day to contribute to the work of the end of the ages. Because Christ will come back and restore all things. And he has called us to be ambassadors and peacemakers joining in the work that he's doing. So, so Christian, when you are at home with your spouse and with your kids, your job isn't just as a mother, isn't just as a father. It's an ambassador. When at your, at your job, you're not just an employer, you're an ambassador. When you're shoveling your driveway with your neighbor to one side and your neighbor to the other side, or I don't know what you do in condos. Do you talk to your neighbors in condos? When you go up the elevator and just like go on your phone, it's like, do I have to talk to them? When will I get to my room, my floor? Whew, wow, that was tough. When you're with your neighbors, you're not just a neighbor, you're an ambassador. It's not whether we have the job, it's whether we're doing the job. Sharing the gospel, showing acts of mercy. Remember that story that Jesus said about a priest and a Levite who passed over their neighbor in need? Ambassadors represent their king. And Jesus would stop and help those in need. When people look at you in your job, do they know that you represent the God of the universe? When people look at you and your home, do, they, do your kids see someone who represents God to them? 
If you've been reconciled, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. If you have peace with God, you are called to be a peacemaker. I am too. And I'm still learning how I can do my job faithfully. What will be the legacy of the way that you end your life? Is it towards retirement or towards the kingdom? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. All things will be restored to peace with Christ. Are you submitting to him? Are you living in his resurrection? Are you waiting for him? Let's be a church that joins in with him in this work that he is doing. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father in heaven, thank you that we have the hope that you are returning. And people scoff and say, where is your God? It's been so long. He's not coming. There is no God. But your word tells us that you have not yet returned because you are waiting patiently for more people to come to repentance. And God, I pray if there are people here who have not yet recognized that Jesus Christ is Lord, that today, Lord, that you would cause them to see that apart from Christ, they are lost but would you cause them to see that you are the shepherd of the lost and you bring back lost sheep. You will leave the 99 to find the one to bring him back to the fold, to bring her back to the pasture. Thank you, God. Father, forgive us for just being consumers of religious entertainment rather than being ambassadors for Christ. Forgive us for people who just show up at church and think that's enough to be called a Christian. Forgive us for not obeying the great commission to go and make disciples. Oh God, forgive us and inspire and motivate us to have courage, God, to have courage to speak to our neighbors, to have courage to talk about Jesus, to have courage to share mercy and not pass over someone who's being mistreated, but say, no, that's wrong. To have courage in Jesus' name to give a cup of cold water to the one who is thirsty. Oh, Father, you are supreme over all things. You will restore all things. Thank you that we can be united with you cause us to align our hearts to all that of who you are in Jesus name amen